Uh, Our scripture reading this morning comes from Mark chapter 1. And we're going to be starting in verse 21. We're going to read all the way through verse 39. They went into Capernaum, and right away he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and began to teach. They were astonished at his teaching, because he was teaching them as one who had authority, not like the scribes. Just then, a man with an unclean spirit was in their synagogue. He cried out, What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit threw him into convulsions, shouted with a loud voice, and came out of him. They were all amazed, and so they began to ask each other, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once, the news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went into Simon and Andrew's house with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he went to her, took her by the hand, and raised her up. The fever left her, and she began to serve them. When the evening came, after the sun had set, they brought, him, they brought to him all those who were sick and demon-possessed. The whole town assembled at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place. And there he was praying. Simon and his companions searched for him. And when they found him, they said, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let's go on to the neighboring villages, so that I may preach there too. This is why I have come. He went into all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, and driving out demons. And this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would give us wisdom, that you would enlighten us, that you would open our eyes as we come to your word, as we come to this text, and that we would meet Jesus again, that we would be amazed by him, that we would be transformed by him, ultimately that we would follow him into his kingdom and on this road that he embarks. In Christ's name. Amen. So we're continuing our study through Mark. And I I have to be upfront with you. Uh, This sermon is going to be a little bit shorter because we've still got some business to handle at the end of the service. Uh, and, And there will be a continuation of sorts next week when Joey preaches. Uh, and we continue working through this process, this progress of Jesus becoming the Christ, of Jesus becoming king. We've talked about, and and if you haven't been with us throughout this series, uh, that statement may be strange to you, right? Jesus was always king. Jesus was God. 
from the beginning, from ages past. What do you mean this process of Jesus becoming Lord, becoming King? And, and what we've been saying is that Mark is taking us on a journey that people in Mark's day would have understood quite well. He's taking us on a journey through the life of Jesus and showing us that in the same way that in the Greco-Roman world, a, 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 a child, a prince is born and then anointed and then uh, crowned and, and exalted as king, that, that Jesus walks this road. Jesus is actually be walking the road to becoming king. And it's full of all these twists and these things that you wouldn't expect. And these little ironic, he's crowned ironically. And instead of seated on a throne, he's nailed to a cross. Instead of a beautiful crown, he's given a cross of thorns. And this is where this is all going. But the book is unpacking for us just what kind of a king is Jesus. And if we are Christians, we are people who believe that God's kingdom is here. It's among us, and that Jesus is king. And so the question that matters to us is, if we're going to follow the king, what kind of king is he? This is why we don't just jump to the cross. This is why the gospels aren't just virgin birth, incarnation, cross, and resurrection. But there's all this meat, all this story, all this Jesus in between. And so now Jesus pops on the scene. We've talked about Jesus a little bit before as he's, he's strategizing and choosing the 12, or as he's preparing for ministry and resting in his belovedness, even in the wilderness. But now Jesus goes to work, to the ministry that was given to him to perform, and that ministry is preaching, announcing the kingdom of God. And I want you to think for a second. So imagine that this... Now, if you get really anxious about things, maybe don't imagine this, but this was the best scenario I could come up with, right? Imagine that you're in a building, and this building is very secure, right? There are guards, there, there are people who, who, are, who know how the building works, who are in charge of, of maintaining not just the security systems, uh, but the, the emergency exits, maintaining the building in that regard. So you go into this building, and generally speaking, you feel secure. But then all of a sudden, there's a fire. And in the midst of this fire, panic breaks out. Uh, I think of if you are a fan of The Office, then there's just that iconic scene where uh, Dwight is testing their fire preparedness. And so he like locks all these doors, and he... He sets like a fake fire so that smoke comes out and, and he yells fire and it's just chaos ensues, right? And they're trying to beat through the windows. They're throwing doors at things, smashing the, the printer into the door, trying to, trying to get out. They all order, all procedure just out of their mind, right? And, and so we're talking that. There's just chaos. And you look and you're looking to the people who are supposed to guide you out. And, th and they're freaking out. And you look to the people who are the security guards, and they're freaking out. The people who work the building, and they're freaking out. And then all of a sudden, one man or woman, let's say woman, one woman starts shouting out orders, right? It's, 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 it's sort of the, 
verbal version of the slap to the face, like, get it together, man. And so this woman screams out, listen, everybody, quiet, get over here, we can work this out, follow me. And so then everyone's, everyone's expression is this, like, we don't know who this person is, but they're speaking like they know what they're doing. They're speaking like we can follow them. And so what happens, like, this is, this is how people work. Right? It's like, okay, she knows what she's doing. Let's follow her. And so they start following her, and she does know what she's doing. She says, down this way, this door, the handle isn't hot. We can go down here. There's a stairwell that leads to an outside door. And she even is leading people out. She says, you, go over there, receive them, move them this way. And she goes back up and gets another set of people and another set of people. And then eventually, everyone is cleared from the building. Right? What happened? In some sense, everyone was trying to figure out things for themselves, but then someone spoke with authority. And everyone was amazed and stopped and honed in. An unexpected person spoke with authority. You see, that's what's happening here. Jesus comes, and now, if you recall, what your dad was or what your parents were is what you were. So Jesus had a profession, and anybody who may have known Jesus knew this. Jesus was a carpenter like his dad, Joe, Joseph and Sons Carpentry. Jesus wasn't a rabbi. He wasn't a Pharisee. He wasn't a professor of theology, right, at Jerusalem University. This isn't who Jesus was. Jesus was a carpenter, and then all of a sudden, this carpenter from Nazareth starts speaking and preaching, and he goes into all of, the, of, of Capernaum, and he starts preaching. He goes into Galilee, and he starts preaching and teaching, and not only is he preaching and teaching, he's preaching and teaching with authority. Right, you have to understand, I, I, I need us to understand culturally what's going on so that we can understand how it applies to us today. He's preaching with authority. This isn't just preaching and teaching. This is with authority. Authority. So other people would preach and teach in that day, but they wouldn't preach of their own authority. And, and it's similar to me. Like, I hope that I never say something that nobody has said before. Like, I get nervous as a preacher or as a teacher when I start coming into theology that I just, that I'm the only person who's ever thought of it, right? Like, I believe that 2,000 years of church life, like, God has spoken to his people. And though God may give us impressions about, like, and, and, but, like, entire theologies that are different, right? Like, be mindful of that, <laughs> right? And so I don't preach on my own authority, I have no authority. I'm Sean. I, I grew up in Virginia to a single mom, only child. I went to seminary, some, <laughs> right? Like, I don't have any authority in and of myself, and neither did the teachers of that day. And so when they teach, they would say things like this, as Moses said or as Jeremiah says, they would appeal to authority of the prophets. And the prophets would be appealing to the authority of God because what did the prophets say? They didn't say, hey, I'm Jeremiah. 
listen to me. They say, thus says the Lord. So even the prophets were speaking on an authority that wasn't their own. And the teachers of that day would speak on an authority that wasn't their own. And if it wasn't, this is what Moses said. It would be, this is what Rabbi Gamaliel says. Or this is what the Talmud says. Or this is how the, the, the ancestors have interpreted and spoken about this. They would be citing someone else's authority. And so in comes Jesus. And what we can understand when Mark says he's preaching and teaching with authority is that Jesus isn't citing and referencing. He's going back to the scriptures for sure. But he's saying things like, the spirit of God is on me to proclaim freedom to the captive, right? Freedom and liberation to the oppressed, right? Hope for the hopeless and healing for the sick, sight to the blind, provision to the poor, just like Isaiah says. But then he says something that no one would say, right? And this is Luke 4. He says, it's being fulfilled right now here in your midst. Right? He's speaking with authority. And they notice it because they say, this is something different. Like, we've heard good preaching. We've heard good teaching. And this is it, yes, but this is something, something, just there's something about this. They're astonished, it says, because he was teaching to them as one who had authority and not like the scribes. He was teaching above his pay grade. They were amazed. And so while the title of this sermon, if we were going to title it, is The Miraculous King, what we're really looking at is the authority of Jesus. Who is Jesus? What authority does he have? Why? How does this demonstrate him as king? And so Jesus comes to preach and teach the kingdom. But now something happens when you're preaching and teaching the kingdom of God. When you're preaching the liberation that comes from the Spirit, when you're preaching on earth as it is in heaven, when you're preaching the righteousness and the justice of God, and you're preaching it in power, and you're preaching it even as the king, all of a sudden, people start coming to you, and power starts happening. I don't even know how else to say it. Does power happen? I don't know. Power starts happening and chains are broken, and people are freed. And I know that in one sense it feels like we're rushing through this, like sit a little bit more on the teaching of God, and we will, but, but all, the text doesn't. He's preaching, they're astonished, then someone comes, and it's a demon, and the demon recognizes the authority of the teaching, and he tries to subvert it. Right, The spiritual forces try to subvert the authority and the teaching of the coming, in-breaking kingdom of God. And they try to out Jesus. Jesus from Nazareth, we know who you are. Have you come to destroy us? Now, Jesus doesn't have time to break down to the people why this person, this demon-possessed person is saying this. He just casts out the demon. And what's amazing is how casual it is in the text. He rebuked him, saying, there wasn't a ceremony. He didn't do a jig. He didn't It says saying. Like that, that word saying in the Greek is actually kind of calm. He's saying, be silent. I like, I, li- I like thinking of Jesus with contempt there, like just, just holy, righteous scorn and contempt. 
that this demon's trying to thwart his power and his mission. Be silent. Get out of him. And the demon does. Right? Jesus, in this moment, as he's teaching, he demonstrates his power in this miracle of freeing this man from spiritual oppression. And there's a whole other sermon to be preached on him then telling the demon, uh, him then telling the demon and other people, don't talk about me. Now is not the time to talk about this. Right? There's a whole sermon to be preached on that. But I want us to sit in on that authority. Because at this point, what we see is that Jesus has the authority over the spiritual realm. What kind of king is he? He is a spiritual king. He is a spiritual king. As he's teaching the kingdom, the first instance of, of, of pushback on the truth that he's speaking is spiritual in nature. And he casts out this demon. He breaks the spiritual chain. He confronts the spiritual powers and forces that are oppressing a person and a people and speaking against the truth that he's proclaiming. And he casts it out. Jesus has that authority. And, and one thing that we have to recognize as God's people in the 21st century is that, it, and especially in the West and especially in America, is that spirituality is a reality. It is so easy to live our lives as though the spiritual realm has no impact on your day to day. That's not, that's, that's not intelligent. That's not scientific. That's not academic. We have to recognize, number one, that human understanding can only go so far as humility, as a people. And we have to understand that, that there is a truth, that there is a spiritual realm. The work that we do as a church is not done in a vacuum. It's not done free of forces working against us. The work that God is doing in your life is not done free of forces working against it. That sin in your life, that hurt in your life, those broken relationships in your life, they are not just, uh, they are not simply chemicals in the brain. They're not simply synapses firing. There is a spiritual reality to all of life. There is something deeper than what we know and can see and touch and observe. And Jesus is king of that. His kingdom is over that. His kingdom is breaking in and broken into that. It is spiritual and he breaks these chains. And family, God is breaking chains still today and he's breaking chains in our lives. The spiritual work that is happening against us, God is actively fighting. God is actively Lord over. Jesus is actively Lord over. And so Jesus comes with this authority over the spiritual realm, over spiritual oppression, over spiritual brokenness. And they were all amazed. A new teaching with authority, he even commands the unclean spirits and they obey him. What kind of authority does this guy have? And as you can imagine, what happened Right, so let's just stop for a moment. Suspend your like Western American. I can't really picture this happening. And allow for a second that you are one of the people in this room as an unclean spirit is cast out. You want to keep this to yourself? 
right? Like today, Jesus wouldn't even be able to get out of the room before it was viral on, on Twitter and YouTube and Facebook and, and Carpenter from, from small town casts out demons. Like, check this out, like, world star hip hop. Like, it's on everything. People are looking at this, right? And of course, it goes viral. It goes viral. And people start saying, uh, I, I don't know if you've heard about Jesus. I mean, those guys are good preachers, but he casts out demons, and you really need to check this out. And we talked about this two weeks ago. The crowds start coming. And the crowds for Jesus are not a good thing. They're in the way. Like we think things being bigger and having more people is a sign of its success. And sometimes maybe that's true, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes, and in Jesus' ministry this is the case, the crowds get between him and the person he's trying to heal. The crowds get between him and the dinner that he's trying to have with this dude who was sitting up in a tree. The crowds get between him and silence and rest and solitude that we'll see at the end of this story time with his God. And so the crowds start coming, and so they leave the synagogue and go to Simon and Andrew and James and John's house, and or Simon and Andrew's house with James and John, uh, and Simon's mother-in-law is sick with a fever, and Jesus heals her. And I want to tie that in with the rest, so I'm not going to stop there and unpack it, because I want want you to see it. Uh, We're going to skip the next demon-possessed man uh, and go uh, later to, to saying, In verse 33, the whole town was assembled at the door and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and drove out demons, right? And so we come to this area and he's got Simon's mother-in-law who's sick with a fever. We can assume, and in that time, fevers weren't something like, oh, it's a fever, just let it break. Give her some Tylenol, she'll be all right. Like, oh, she has a fever. This could be it. Later, we'll see that there are lepers, and Joey gets to talk about that. And now that I realize that, I'm like super, like, oh, why did I give him that text? But, <laughs> but he's healing lepers. Like, what, what we're seeing in this story and in this text now is that not only does Jesus' kingly authority with which he speaks have authority over the spiritual, he even has authority over the physical realities of the world. He heals the sick. Now look, I believe in common grace. And so when I say that, what I mean is that one of the ways that God shows his grace to people is that he gives them ingenuity and scientific advancement. And I'm not a person who's like, don't go to the doctors. Go to the doctor. If you have a headache or a fever, use some Tylenol. Right? If you're sick, if you broke a leg, go. Get it set. Because doctors and medicine and scientific advancements are grace from God. So we're not going to be those people who are like, man, pray the depression away. Like sometimes you have a chemical imbalance that needs medicine. We're not going to be like, pray your bones fixed. Go to the doctor. Have them set it and brace it. And thank God because he provided doctors in your life who could set and fix and break uh, your broken bones. And thank God that you have health care, because not everybody does. And thank God that you live in proximity to, a, to an 
doctor, orthopedic, whatever, because not everybody does. And at the same time, remember this, that doctors understand the body. Scientists understand the body. They have studied the physical and the chemical realities of the body. They've even mastered the knowledge of the body in some components. And that's why no doctor is like a master of, they don't know, oh, I understand both bones and the brain, right? But a neurologist may have mastered the brain, but he doesn't have authority over any doctor that says they have authority over the physical sciences or the physical realm is going to be laughed out of their position, out of their field. They don't have authority, right? And some of you need to hear that. Doctors don't have authority over chronic pain. Doctors don't have authority over depression. Doctors don't have authority over infertility. Doctors don't have authority over whatever it is that ails you, over cancer or over uh, <clears throat> any sickness. But God does. We have to believe that. And Jesus demonstrates that this realm that the kingdom of God covers, it's not just the spiritual realm, it's also a physical realm. It's both realities encompassed in one. And so in this story, what we then see is the authority of Jesus is demonstrated in the fact that he is miraculous. Miracle number one is not really a miracle, but I like to call it that because <laughs> miracle number one is that a carpenter from Nazareth can speak with authority on the scripture. Because Jesus has authority over truth. Miracle number two is the casting out of demons, and it happens multiple times over there, because Jesus is king over the spiritual realm, and then he's healing the sick, because he's king even over the physical realm. And so what I want us to see then is two things about this. The way that Jesus works, the way that this power happens in, in the ministry of Jesus, because I think it's true of us too, I'm, I'm confident of this because we see it throughout sort of the New Testament, is that the truth of God, the proclamation of the kingdom of God, and the moving of the spirit of God, and the revealing of the power of God, they live together. The proclamation of the kingdom of God, of Christ as king, the truth of the gospel, and the power of the gospel, and the move of the spirit go together. So this is what we can say, that when the people of God are shaped by the word of God, the spirit of God exposes the power of God in their life. And some of us want power, but we want our own power. Some of us want the word of God, but we don't think that we need the spirit. Some of us want the spirit of God, but we don't want the spirit to be accompanied by truth. But the people of God, shaped by the word of God, right? They see the spirit of God in their life reveal the power of God. And that's who we want to be as a church. And see, what happens then is lives are transformed. Right? We focus on Jesus in this text, and we are right to, but think about that man who was possessed by a demon. 
Think about that woman who had a fever. Think about those people who were sick and dying. Think about next week those lepers. Their lives were literally transformed by the love of God. Their lives were literally transformed by the power of God. And the love and the power of that king still transforms people today. And that transformed life is contagious. That transformed life is contagious. Even Jesus couldn't stop them from telling people. And so this is where we have to end this morning. Oh, man, this... (laughs) This is where we have to end this morning. Because I think then the question that comes to my mind is a very practical one. What is the one thing that I can be doing in my life that will lead me on this road to seeing and interacting with the transformative power of the king and his kingdom? And I think we get it I think we get it here at the end. It says, verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up went out and made his way to a deserted place. And there he was praying. A few weeks ago, when we talked about Jesus in the wilderness, this is what we said, is that you may be tempted to look at the wilderness in your life as punishment or is a bad place. And there is, as Richard Rohr said, and I'll remind you of what Rohr said, right? There is a kind of wilderness, a kind of darkness that you enter into because of your own pride and your own stupidity and your own selfishness and your own lack of love and your own sin. But that's not the wilderness that Jesus enters into here, and that's not the wilderness that we're talking about. There is a wilderness, a place of solitude, even a holy darkness, a holy quiet quietude, if you will, that just like with Jesus, what the scripture says is immediately the spirit led him into the wilderness, just like the spirit led Jesus into the wilderness that the Holy Spirit leads us into. There is a quiet, there is a separation, there is a, 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 <clears throat> a wilderness of our own. And Jesus can't go back to the wilderness. But what does it say he does? He goes to a deserted place. How deserted is it? Simon and his companions had to search for him to find him. Right? He wasn't at the unpopular coffee shop. Right? He was was secluded. And now listen, I understand that we all don't have the ability to like go out to the wilderness. Because the wilderness is far. Like, seclusion is far from here. Quiet and, like, silence and solitude. Like, if you need to go to a spot to do this, like, that's hard to do, right? Because 
When I was growing up, Leesburg, like three people lived in it. And you were like, like, why are you in Leesburg? Like, I think you're lo- like, get out, <laughs> right? Um, but now, like, Leesburg is like a booming little town. And people are like, oh, I'm going to Middleburg for the weekend? Like, there's no solitude in this area. So you have to create spaces, whether it's in your house or at your work or in your car ride to work or your walk to work. You have to create spaces of silence and solitude where you can be quiet before the Lord and listen and pray. I've said this a lot, and I'll keep saying it. In the last two years, the thing that has transformed my life the most has been the practice of silence, solitude, prayer, and meditation. Getting away, turning it off. Now, silence and solitude means there's no iPod, iPhone, whatever you put your music on. There's no, none of that. Don't bring your Walkman, is what I'm saying. Right? You're not on the computer. Right? Like, we're all like, oh, yeah, I'll use Bible Gateway and I won't get distracted. Right? Except that we all have our internet routine. You turn on the internet and you just type it in Gmail, ESPN, Facebook, CNN, ESPN. Uh, Yes, I go to ESPN twice every time. Right? Something could have happened or I forgot. Right? But we have this routine, and if it's right there, this is what I do in this space. You have to find a space that is regular and routine where what you do is you are quiet and you create for yourself a wilderness where you can meet Jesus. That doesn't mean you have to do a Bible study. It didn't say Jesus was in the wilderness underlining and and parsing verbs and Jesus was in the wilderness in silence and in prayer. We live in a world where you need to create space for silence. This is where you hear, you meet the king and his kingdom. It's very practical. Find a space. Make it your space. Dedicate that space. And regularly retreat to that space. Right? Like parents know. For some parents, it's, the, it's like the, it's the bathroom. Like, the only place I can get quiet is if I lock that bathroom door. And even then, I've got like 30 seconds before they're trying to figure out how to pick the lock or they realize, like, I need food that I didn't need before you went to the bathroom, right? But find that space. Honor that space. Visit that space regularly and expect to meet with God. I'm going to pray. We're going to go to the table, and then we have an announcement.